So we've spent the past 20 minutes doing everything we can to avoid talking about these two episodes. We've been cleaning up Eric's apartment, and uh, I washed all of the dishes, even the ones that didn't need to be washed. It's true. He did. They're all very clean. Is this what I have to look forward to during Voyager? That's a very hard question (laughs) to answer. And uh, yes and no. Okay. I guess the these two were bad episodes. I assume they would get onto the list of worst episodes of DS9. I I I disagree with you slightly. Okay. I I actually Profit and Lace is of course uh reprehensible. Reprehensible. <laughs> it is it is sexist. It is just awful to watch in every conceivable way. However, I do think that the episode does not reach the the lows to which it gets until the revelation that Quark has had a sex change operation. Yeah. Before that, it is a middling, fair to middling Ferengi comedy yeah. episode. Then it just goes off the rails. Time's Orphan, I don't like, but I liked more this time. And I think it's a much... It's a much more representative episode of Deep Space Nine than Profit and Lace is, even if it is not one of the best episodes of the show. Yeah, that's fair. They're they're both bad episodes for different reasons, again, and we will obviously talk about both both of them. But yeah, I, I, I think the concept at the heart of Time's Orphan could have worked. I'm just not sure if it quite worked in execution. Well, let's not talk about that yet. But Profit and Lace was just maybe a good idea that just they lost the plot on. This is something that the Ferenginar storyline has been building up to. The ultimate uh, giving, giving, women, giving women the right to earn profit. That, that has been kind of the arc of the Ferenginar storyline. So I was looking forward to when this would finally happen. And obviously Moogie is going to have some sort of role in this. uh, But at the same time, this is an episode which is very much based on our understanding that women should have the right to do business, while at the same time there apparently is only one female Ferengi who is capable of doing business, and so they have to create one. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that that we we already know that there are more than one Frankie women that that can conduct business because we saw one back in the in the. It would have been nice. Show. Yeah, this would have been a great time to bring Pell back. For well, they, they. I mean, they couldn't though because the whole structure. I mean, I I, I agree with you, but I think the because entire, they wanted to give Quark a sex change. That inter- is what the we have to grapple with the episode as the plot is constructed, and mm-hmm. the entire plot of the episode hinges on Ishka having a heart attack and not being able to meet with the guy from Sluggo Cola. And they the actually do make a point of saying case. that they do not have time to get another woman to the station. You just have to kind of go with that. Yeah. And and yeah, they could have found Pell and they could have brought her to the station, and it would have been a much more interesting episode, perhaps, than having Armin Shimmerman do his Tootsie impersonation. <laughs> but. It, it, it's the reality of what we're dealing yeah. with. And so the the question in my mind is, yes, I think that Ishka has shown herself to be not only a, a good businesswoman, but perhaps one of the best politicians yes. that Ferenginar has produced. She has gone from being a traditional Ferengi woman 
not doing anything in her house. Now, of course, the revelation from the fifth season or something like that, where it was kind of revealed that she was helping her husband with with his business. But that was behind the scenes. No one knew that was going on. She was not wearing clothing. She has become more radicalized as she's gotten older. Her children have moved out of the house. And I'm very specifically taking this seriously because I think that we do need to take it seriously. And I think we should take it seriously. I I agree with you. I liked the character of Ishka very much. Yeah. And so the the tension here really is that Ishka has basically wormed – I mean, you know, I I don't doubt that her feelings for Zek are genuine, but I also think that there is an element of – well, it's Power really nice. The throne there, yeah. a little bit of of you know calculation. It, she knows that being in this relationship with Zach is a very good way for her to eventually talk him into putting this you know new uh, in the bill of opportunity, Frankie bill of opportunity, or whatever that is. And so, yeah, it, it's very convenient and nice for her that. The person that she happens to be in a relationship also happens to be somebody who is in a position where she can get her political goals. Like, that's a very nice, you know, everything goes up very nicely for Ishka and good for her, I guess. And the, right. And and this is why I find Ferengi episodes so troubling and why right. I struggle with them so much, even as I have liked some of them. We know that the show can do serious episodes featuring Ferengi, taking them seriously, taking their beliefs seriously. We've seen that in like Family Business, for instance, um, which uh, we also saw that. Was that the – no, wait. Family Business was the episode with Ishka, but that was a serious episode as well yes. as a comedy episode. I'm thinking of the one with um, the the arms uh, merchant. Yes. Oh, with Katzengela. Yes. yes. And that was a very, very good episode, and I think that that's why – Frankie episodes in general and this episode in particular are so fucking frustrating because Iris Stephen Bear and Renee Arcaveria are so in love with the idea of the Ferengi as farce that they can't see them. It's a blind spot for them, I think. And there's there was an interesting thing on on Memory Alpha where Armin Shimmerman and and, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Alexander Siddick, who directed this episode, saw this episode much more seriously than it was written. They actually had to go back and, and, and reshoot some scenes because they they played them and shot them entirely too seriously and they just did not work. Specifically, the scene with Ishka's heart attack was apparently much taken much more seriously yeah. in, in the first take. So, and I think that's part of the problem with the episode, but it's also frustrating because the episode just ignores so much of what has come before. This is a version of Quark that we have not seen in years. Yeah, he opens with doing the textbook definition of quid pro quo sexual harassment, which is something we haven't seen him do since season one. And, and, that the show... and something which Cisco specifically yeah. forbade him from doing again, or I think he said he would get kicked off the station. Well, it's maybe Quark would justify this with, you said not to put it in, in the contract, but uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it's still, it's, it's, it's horrible. And I mean, but, let's skip to the end. I think it's even more horrible that at the end she decides, oh, but it would be fun. Like, it, 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 uh, this is literally going the message that, well, you can you know, proposition a woman against her will because she might come to enjoy it. And obviously it's not rape if you do enjoy it. it it's disgusting. I, I mean, I, I, I hate to keep bringing up the, the United States presidential election. We are recording this about two weeks before <laughs> the election. And this is obviously being released after because you're listening to it after the election. But... 
if all the polls are accurate, and I have no reason to believe they're not, Trump is going to lose by a large margin. He may even lose states like Georgia and North Carolina, which would be almost unprecedented. So, I mean, I think Ob- Obama, From your mouth to God's ear, Obama won North Carolina in 2008, but I don't think a Democrat or a Democrat has won Georgia in, I don't know, probably since um, uh, uh, the civil rights era after the whole thing with um, – uh, 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 well, anyway, you, you don't <laughs> need to get into that. But – the issue really is that, again, it's so frustrating because I'll compare it to Time's Orphan. You know, that's not a great episode of the show, but it's an episode which remembers these characters, remembers where they've yeah. gone. I think that Time's Orphan does not completely redeem Worf as a father, but it doesn't forget that he has a son. It doesn't forget that he's a shitty father, and it doesn't forget that Jadzia would have serious doubts about having a child with him. Whereas this episode, I think that, that, you know, whenever they write a Frankie comedy episode, they throw Quark's journey throughout the the show completely out the window and go back to a first season version of Quark that does not seem to remember what the fuck has been going on on the show for the past six years. And it's just so fucking frustrating and drives me crazy. Yeah, Quark certainly is not a feminist even by Ferengi standards, but at the same time, he is... He's better than that's that bit. The bit about, again, you you should be nicer to me. He's better than that at this point. He has... This is somebody who's finally come to respect the Federation and want them back on his station. This is a somebody who has at least partially redeemed himself in the eyes of Major Kira. Yeah. This is somebody who hangs out with Jadzia Dax all the time. And so, yes, this is, this maybe is... he's going to flirt with his Dabo girl, but he's not going to cross that line anymore. And this episode says, well, he is. And it's funny that he does. Right. And that's the thing is none of this is funny. I mean, there is that scene at the end of the episode yeah. when the guy from Sluggo Cola, whose name I don't think I actually wrote down, Nilva, I think his name was. The slimiest cola in the universe. <laughs> He's that was like, and that's the thing. Even the comedy is so they were, like, they, they're just nobody is interested in making this like sing as comedy. It was anyway. Sp- it, it, I mean, that bit, they all kind of mumble the slogan. It would make sense if they all sung the jingle. That's it's not even it, 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 they, they didn't even you know go that far and they were just tired and it's not even a good jingle no like maybe that's the point maybe that's the joke but it's not very funny it didn't read yeah so Nilva is chasing Lumbo <laughs> Quark around the room trying to sexually assault her and we are supposed to be laughing at this and this is when the I mean you know uh, you could say the first 20 minutes of the episode are 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 you know mostly unobjectionable except for the very beginning if not completely flat as comedy you can say that the episode really takes a turn for the worse when it's revealed that Quark has had a sex change operation <sighs> and my questions are so like why would Bashir do this <sighs> like I what like I just I, the whole thing is so I'm not I, I'm just I'm I think my brain is short circuiting no. because it's just so it makes absolutely no sense that this would be the thing that they would decide to do. I guess the, the, fa- the fact that they're making gay panic jokes about Rom being some sort of like you know a little bit feminine and he can play off being a woman, haha. And it's like, what the fuck are you I, doing? And I guess I, I, what, what's clicking for me now is the scene with him chasing Quarkette around the room. Is that not that long ago? Didn't we Quarkina Quarkette? Um, didn't we have a an episode not that long ago about comfort women? 
didn't we have an yeah. episode in which the uh the, the 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 concept of women using their bodies as a commodity in a time of war was very seriously and very disturbingly gone into yeah. and very tastefully and this is just fucking tasteless yeah well i mean i think that this episode really uh, it, it 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 encapsulates the fundamental problem with the ferengi which is that whoever designed their makeup try you know they they wanted to make them a actual legitimate force for you know uh, uh, for being a uh, uh, um, a villain in in tng yes. and they look ridiculous their makeup is not something that is going to engender fear or respect it is fundamentally a problem of the fact that the Ferengi makeup as designed just makes them look silly. And so I get that. But just sideline them then. Because there could have been a way to have a Ferengi in the show. You could have taken them seriously. I think that if the show... And the show has taken them yeah. seriously. Ha, you know, they well, wear funny clothes. They're, you know, they're short... They look funny. They've got a big nose. They've got big ears. They've got ugly heads. Like, I get it. They don't look good, but you could still make them serious. You, you could well, still take them seriously. And if you don't want to take them seriously and you want to play up the comedy, which is what the this, this show seems to want to do all the time, then actually hire a fucking comedy writer to write the fucking episode because you're not good at writing comedy. When, when these Ferengi work, and I'm thinking of episodes like the Magnificent Ferengi and the Gala Weapons Dealer one, I mean, they're almost taking a page off of like a Tarantino kind of thing where they're having, you know, strange or jokey characters, but embroiling them in a extremely serious violent plot and having them joke around and be wacky, but taking this premise seriously. This isn't taking the Again, this is something that we've been leading up to for a while, the rights of women on Ferenginar. And, and it's, a bi- it's, it's, a, it's a big wet fart. It doesn't yeah. go anywhere. No one takes it seriously. I mean, I'm glad that uh, uh, Quarkette has the conversation with, with Nilva about the fact that, well, women will go to work. Women will yeah. earn latinum. They will want to spend it. Like th- th- you know, this is exactly how uh, uh, women in in the Western world, for yeah. example, gained you know economic power in the past fifty years. And so there was an episode of Mad Men I'm, I, that this reminded me of, um, the one where the character Pete gets the television, right, uh, right. And but he, the but the thing is that, and I don't mean to cut you off, no. but, the, but the thing is that really what what fundamentally is objectionable to me about this episode. Well, two things. Number one. This is why it's important to have women on the creative staff. This is why mm. it's important to have women on the writing staff of television yeah. shows because I think if they had had a woman in the writers room, I don't think it would have I don't think this episode would have happened or it wouldn't have happened like this. Number 1. And cuz she would have been like, "Guys, this is a terrible idea." <laughs> Number 2 is that this I don't th- and this is the problem with not having women or not having people that are woke on the writing staff is that you get this kind of thing where the real lesson of the episode, because Quark learns nothing about this, he doesn't take any lessons from this at all, mm. except for the very end when maybe, oh, he doesn't want Umox, and oh, okay, maybe he actually does, um, is that what this episode is fundamentally saying is that a man dressed as a woman and acting like a woman because of, and they take it even a step further because of course he had this whole sex change operation. So apparently he has the Ferengi equivalent of the vagina and his breasts. It's not just cosmetic. It's It's not not just, just he's got hormones. Like he's had a complete sex change operation. Okay, fine. I'll buy that. I will buy that that the sex change operation uh, 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 technology has advanced in the past. If we have the thing to make, uh, 
Diane, Deanna Troy a Romulan, we can make Quark into a Ferengi female, sure. But it seemed, but but this episode seems to trivialize the the trans experience because mm-hmm. it makes you know changing your gender something that you can do on a whim uh, without it being a fundamental part of your identity. And and Bashir is just fine with doing that for whatever reason. They don't really ever go into it. This would be a pretty significant surgery, I would think. And then also, it fundamentally is making the point that even when there is a strong, capable woman who can make the argument and convince someone that that women are deserving of equal rights in Ferengi society. What they actually need is a man impersonating a woman. Yeah. And I'm using that word very specifically because you no. know this is not a trans thing. Quark does not want to be a woman. Quark does not identify as a woman. He identifies no, as he's a man. Pretending to be a woman for the purposes of this assignment. That that. What happens is a man impersonating a woman has to talk the man into supporting the Ferengi, yeah. you know, bill of opportunity thing about being able to to earn profit. And it's just it's it's completely tone deaf. And it is. And I think it's tone deaf because they thought they were making a funny episode and they thought that they could get away with it. Again, this is one where. In, fuck the line about, oh, it's too late to get any Ferengi. I need this episode to end with a bunch of Ferengi women standing up and en masse giving, the, giving this speech. Because to, to say that Ishka and Pell are aberration, sure, I can believe that. But I, 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 they, they're the— Based They're the on, only ones. Yeah, exactly. You know, they 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 can't just be one offs. That I mean, this episode says that Ferengi women are fifty three percent of the population. Yeah. So there's got to be more than two Ferengi women that have even been able if to half of even if half of the women on Ferenginar wish to earn profit, that's still a good twenty five percent of the population. That's a chunk. Hell, even if one yeah. percent of them manage it's to do true. it, it's true. Yeah, you're, you're going to have tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds yeah. of thousands of women running around out there earning profit on the sly. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, again, this is a bottle episode. I don't think that they wanted to go to Ferenkinar precisely because it, it's fine. expensive and whatever. But it just it doesn't work. It, there's nothing. There's really no part of this episode that works. No, it, it, maybe maybe the slug of cola uh, jingle. I found myself laughing, but not because bits were funny, but because everything had the pacing and the setup of a joke. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just reacting to. The music or something like that. Oh, yeah. The music is awful, and I think that you can really tell when scoring is trying to make up for the fact that the the tone of the episode that they want is not working without the music because the, the comedy trumpet in this episode is ridiculous, <laughs> and it is something that I don't think has been ever that pronounced yeah, before on the show. Terrible. They it, might as well have put Benny Hill music during the chase bit. But again, I, I, I really want to talk about that chase scene because yeah. it is so creepy. It is so objectionable. Like it's supposed to be fun because here's the thing is like you can't have it both ways, right? You can't you can't have Quark actually undergo a, a, a sex change operation complete with female hormones and, you know, on the one hand, say Quark is a woman. He is actually a woman now right that is what the episode is saying yeah that quark is a female and at the same time so so all of this sort of like gender politics and all the sort of power imbalances that are involved in that with a man going after a woman and then at the same time play a scene where a powerful multi-millionaire ferengi is 
trying to sexually harass Quark and have it be played for comedy because we all know that Quark is actually a man and he can really protect himself. They are fundamentally at odds with each other. There is no way to square that circle, and it is just awful. No, this was a... It, 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 this is an episode I, 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 which, which thinks that sexual assault is funny. Well, I, I, I guess, we, again, you said it's obvious there isn't a woman in the writer's room. I, I guess what made that very emblematic is at one point Quark says, well, if women wear clothing, women are going to have pockets. How many women complain about legitimately yes. how dresses do not have pockets? That's, I think, one of the things I've heard relating to women's fashion very much that dresses are not designed with pockets and it's stupid. So obviously that wasn't a yeah, very – if a woman had written that line, maybe it would have been if you have women wear clothing, they're going to carry purses. That may have been fine. But yeah, it, it's obvious that nobody – and and you say a writing staff that isn't woke, but we had far beyond the stars not that long ago either. Well, I think that I I, I the only I, I agree with you. I think yeah. the only explanation for that is that their brains short circuit whenever they try and come up with a Ferengi comedy yeah. episode. I re- I really don't know. That's that. No, I, no, that that genuinely seems like that. Even if they're taking a relatively serious topic, that should be taken with. Again, we we are seeing. We've seen change on all of the planets that we've dealt with. We've seen change on Cardassia, on Bajor, on Kronos, and we are see- even on Trill a little bit, and we are seeing it on Franginar. That's some. That's one of the pleasures of this series is that they are allowing the planets, their cultures, to evolve. And again, evolving into feminism is the kind of is the next step for Franginar. Especially, it's the next step in Quark's journey too. That's always yeah. been the thing he's been butting up against and butting up against here his mother is the essentially the leader of the feminist movement on Ferenginar and he is somebody who very much wants to be a Ferengi and has found himself failing again didn't we have a few weeks ago his mother said you we're not like other Ferengis I've, all of us are very different and that's Quark having to yeah yeah accept that of himself and they only ex- they I can. It's one thing to have him accepting it, kicking and screaming, but it is another. But what does what does Quark take from this experience? Yeah. What does Quark learn from this experience? Nothing, right? Because again, this is what it really comes back to for me. If you want to have the episode start out with Quark, you know, humorously sexually harassing a waitress, which is like, oh, you know, and and then have the experience towards the end of the episode of being sexually harassed and, mm-hmm. and and sexual you know almost sexually assaulted uh and then at the end of the episode it seems to be going in the right direction yeah. with him learning a lesson i don't know that he would need to learn this lesson again but okay for the sake of the argument as it is as it exists let's take that that he needs to learn that lesson again that he seems to be learning that lesson and says oh you you know you don't need to do that i just you know and then he goes oh what am i doing of course i want to get my dick sucked you know and it's you like, know what ah, you know what lesson quirk ah. learned from this episode how to more effectively proposition women because he has realized why being chased around and extorted doesn't work again he has learned to catch more flies with honey yes yeah yeah i i, I just i Fuck this episode. I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's so... It's like they couldn't make an episode about giving women the right to vote without making 
women seem utterly undignified and silly and ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Fuck this episode. I mean, it's so bad. <laughs> I, I don't know that there's much else to say about it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm just a gog. I really am. I mean, I knew this episode was coming. I, 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 we specific, I specifically, the timing worked out and Richard was coming over anyway. And I said, let's do something unorthodox because we never watched the show together. I said, let's watch the episode together. And, and I didn't know whether we were in for another thing like uh, 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 Dancing with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight or what? Is this I, the episode that the Dominion War comes to a head? Or I really needed to watch this with Richard because I think that if he hadn't, if I hadn't had that date to watch it with Richard, I don't think I would have watched it. <laughs> Like, I mean, I would have, but I think it would have been like uh, a real struggle to like actually force myself to sit down and watch this episode because it is so bad. And it's, it's, it's just, and, and th- I mean, in, in general, this week we had two episodes without the Dominion plot being, uh, advanced in any way. That's still what I'm invested in. Yes, there's the begin at the beginning, they're worried that it's a Dominion takeover of Ferenginar. Right. They do still know the war is happening, but. Well, we haven't talked at all about the return of Zach. I mean, he hasn't been in the show since Frankie Love Songs. And all I care about is that they figure is, is that they finally made Wallace Shawn forget about the pain of the makeup. And once he's on, he realizes again, they, they, they turn Wallace Shawn into an awful actor. Yeah. Yeah. He's not good. I don't even think he's doing the same voice. Like, I, I don't. I don't know what's going on in this episode. Oh. He's realizing that. Oh God, this is a paycheck. Every time I do it, it's only a couple days of work. Forgetting about the makeup and figuring, all right, it wasn't that bad, and but the bills are. But you know, just fucking realizing that the show is going to end eventually, and that he's probably going to be called to do it once, maybe twice at most more. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I'm exhausted. Yeah, and we still have to talk about Time's Orphan, which to me came off as the next generation doing the empath. You mean Deep Space Nine? No. I don't know what that means. I don't know. It just This felt like a TNG episode <laughs> in a lot of ways with how much it reset. And what's the, what's the empath from the original series? Well, that's what I thought. But Yeah, I I, give, I, given that it focuses around somebody who largely does not speak and was obviously cast because she's a dancer. I, 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 yeah, I agree with you. I think superficial resemblances in both, of course, but I think I, I agree. I think this is very much a TNG episode done in a sort of deep space nine style. Yeah. You know, the thing that redeems it for me is, um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not a very good concept. I don't think that it really does much for the characters of Keiko and Mm O'Brien. We already know that they love their kids. We already know that they love each other. We already know that they fuck and they have a wonderful life and they're all happy and stuff and they're happy to be back together. I get all that. I think that the, I think the reason for bringing them back is a little flimsy, honestly, because there's no indication that the Dominion war has actually slowed down any. uh, And it seems still like to be pretty dangerous. Yeah. They're still on DS nine. Your family on deep space nine. And I also find the the vehicle for for uh, Molly becoming a rabid teenager to be ridiculous. I mean, this planet was abandoned two thousand years ago by yeah. a civilization, but there's no evidence anywhere except for this like time portal in this cave that just happens to be fifty feet away from their 
most favorite picnic spot. Well, this is another for that theory that the Guardian of Forever was invented by that one civilization that they've mentioned from time to time. The Iconians? Yeah, like maybe this is another Iconian device. It would have been nice if the writers had thought about that, but whatever. Um and, and I mean, it, and that's, I guess, part of the TNG, TOS feel about that is that here is a MacGuffin piece of technology that... They even start the episode out with some nice techno babble between Kara and, and Dax, where Dax is explaining exactly what they're going to do to try and get Molly back. And that's something that DS9 yeah. doesn't do very often. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that they don't really spend a lot of time getting... Yeah, the the rabid Molly back. I don't. I like the fact that they dispense with that very quickly. It's first and act thing. Yeah. Most of the episode is dealing with them trying to communicate with Molly in some way, but and it's not. I mean, it's it, not a. The thing is, it's not a terrible episode. It's not very entertaining, and certainly, I don't think that it would be on anyone's top fifty. But it's just kind of there. I mean, I guess this is a there's some nice moments and it in it in a mechanical plot sense, fine. But part of me has a similar reaction as what did anybody learn from this experience? What not, not that n- not to let your children run off and go into caves by themselves. Exactly. And <laughs> uh, Molly herself is just. She's lost for a few hours in, in as far as she knows at the end of this. And if Rabid Molly gets home and dies peacefully, well, that's fine. But the O'Briens don't really gain or lose anything from this. Are they just going to look more carefully at it? I don't know. I mean, I guess it is another in a long line of Let's Torture yeah. episodes now featuring Let's Torture Keiko, I suppose. And that just comes off as sadistic, at least the episode <laughs> with the... I mean, at least the episode where Keiko's possessed by a paw wraith was added a bit to the lore and gave us a really good episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that what makes it such a strange choice for me is that the one thing that you can say about Time's Orphan is that it is... I, I think that TNG would have found a way to fix... The rabid Molly, me. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's well, maybe yeah. not. I think that the status quo reverting is pretty TNG, but I do feel like there is an element of fundamental um, just s- sadness about the the fifteen year old Molly or the fourteen year old Molly. I don't know how old she they is. say it's eighteen, and she was because t- uh, Molly. Molly's, I guess, I guess Molly's that, yeah. about eight now. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I guess she would be about eight now because she was born in the fifth season of DS9, yeah. or TNG. Yeah, so let's say she's eighteen. So I think there is a fundamental sadness to the fact that, um, and 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 sort of a non hopefulness that they can't do anything for her, right? And they, yeah. they do seem to give up on her a little too quickly, I think. But at the end of the day... But circumstances kind of force them with the stabbing of this guy, to be fair. Right. And I think that, you know, it is a little bit... It, it, it is a little bit strange that no one really seems to be working with Molly. It's just Keiko yeah. and, and, and Miles that don't have any training in this sort of thing. And they Bashir just, doesn't even seem that involved. No, he doesn't seem that involved except for shooting her with sedatives every once in a while. He's more interested in Yoshi in this episode. And Well, wouldn't you be? He's cute. Aww. And also, uh, uh, is it just me or is it super creepy that they bathed and put makeup on her while she was sedated? I, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Maybe they just transported the dirt away. Um, 
we talked about Federation prisons are in, uh, implied to be the ideal of prisons, but the show hasn't quite figured out what the state of mental care is in in this universe, in this galaxy, in this universe. And so we don't know, is Molly going to get good care? Is she going to actually get a staff working with her? I mean, this this episode I, I, seems I, I like... I think she would. But, but then Keiko and Miles don't seem to believe so. I mean, this episode... Well, I, I think that where, where that's – I mean I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that where that's really going is that that is more about Keiko and and Miles not wanting to give her up. Yes, and that's – and that I understand. I Part of me also feels like is sending her into the past really the only option? They can't kind of cus- come to an arrangement where she gets custody in a wildlife preserve kind of a thing so they can actually visit with her I mean, and yet I, she will be a – I mean this is an episode which seems like it wants to be about somebody dealing with a extraordinarily ill child and what kinds of options do we have in order to deal with that and yet it doesn't really seem to fully be able to make that step into being about that. At least, I, I mean, I loved Sons of Moog because that, to me, came off as somebody who is dealing with an extremely right. depressed or abuse, a substance-abusing family member and the trauma of that kind of a situation. This episode, again, could have been along those same lines but wasn't. And I, and I, Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that, that part of what is aggravating about Time's Orphan as well is that Molly's not really a character. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a child. She says cute things every once in a while, but we have no investment in her. I mean, I don't want to see her get hurt. Yeah. I don't want to see her, you know, uh, cry or, or be psychologically or physically injured. Yeah. But Yeah, she's we, we not... feel bad about the fact that somebody spent 10 years isolated, but... But this could have been an episode about, about any child, essentially. You know, this could have been two guest stars of the week and a ran- their random kid. You know, where it really falls down for me is that I don't really buy... The the episode isn't really telling us anything about Keiko and Miles. You know, we already know that their relationship is strong. We already know that they love their children. This just seems sadistic, like you yeah. said. This just seems like a very, very churlish sort of thing to do to put them through more mental and emotional turmoil. For for what end? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it it's and it's not even that entertaining. This is another where it's 26 episodes and this would have made the cut if it had been 15. Right, right. These both of these episodes would have been cut. And I also, th- you know, and I also think it is unfair to there's this whole idea of time travel in Star Trek as being really really difficult when it's not necessary for the plot. And I think that this episode, you know, I don't like time travel in Star Trek in general. I think it's it's overused and, you know, strap in for for Voyager and, and Enterprise. But I, I, I do think it is overused in Star Trek. And one of my wishes for Star Trek Discovery is that it has no time travel because Jesus Christ just, just put it to bed. Like, we don't need to see any more time travel stories. But this episode, really, it's just like, well, that happened. I don't know what, you know, is going on. It's just another time travel thing. Yeah. And it's it's unfair to the character of the the adult Molly because... I, I don't really get a sense of who she is. I don't really get a sense of what she went through, aside from oh, she sleeps in trees, probably to stay away from animals, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But- how, how did our eight-year-old Molly learn to survive in the wild on her own? This is somebody who, yes, her she's probably learned a bunch about plants from her mother and a little bit about how to fix things from her dad and her own interest in animals. But beyond that, those are not the 
survival skills that she seemed days. to be able to she seemed to like weave some cloth for herself yeah she was wearing i mean it wasn't like great but you know it, yeah it's not really possible to weave cloth by yourself <laughs> i don't know it, you just got to kind of go with it i mean you can't have a naked woman running around because this is after all a television show but it is strange because they do really make the point of well this cake this Keiko, this molly exists and we do not have a right to make her not exist and, yeah and the whole episode at the end is sort of like oh well the adult molly sends the child molly back yes and, and, and does she realize that that's her I, that's uh, a thing it, you, you can certainly st- under i i guess it requires us to feel that adult molly has made a sacrifice in order so that child molly may live but does she is it uh, there's no con- non condescending way of asking this is she capable of realizing the sacrifice she made or did she just figure uh, make the very obvious connection that all right you belong over there i don't think so i i mean i don't get that's really the 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 one of the problems with the episode is that i don't really think that the actress that is playing the uh, adult molly is particularly interesting or doing anything particularly interesting with the concept and that's probably part that's part of where i got the empath connection because both of them move wonderfully yeah. you can tell when she's moving around and climbing the tree and all that again she's obviously They're, a dancer but right. it's it's not a character it's a that's it's a choreography right that's the thing i mean there would be a way to imbue this character with some sort of inner life and i just don't i don't see it yeah. in this character and so the very end of the episode doesn't work because yeah. you really need to buy that that adult molly is is realizing on some level mm-hmm. not on every level i no. mean she's not going to be able to understand quantum mechanics but on some level she understands that this is herself and that when she sends her back she may disappear or whatever or even maybe not to that degree maybe just we need to get you back to where yeah. you belong and i don't get a sense of that i mean it's just kind of like she's sending a puppy home you know and it it, yeah. it doesn't really work she doesn't seem surprised to see her and yeah, it's just, I mean, there, there are other fundamental problems with the episode, of course, which are things like, you know, I don't really know what the mechanics of losing your speech are. I don't really know what the mechanics, like, there, yeah. it's almost like she was, like, like a baby when she was abandoned. Yeah, like, it's but, not like she was, it doesn't seem like she was abandoned when she was eight. And I also feel like we've seen Yohura get from a completely mindless, wiped state to get getting back to where she was in a matter of weeks now yes we can say your her is particularly badass but and also that was the original series yeah but 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 still like I mean, let's not forget that's also the show that said that they cured all mental illness <laughs> and that apparently is not actually true yes yeah obviously i i, I don't know I, 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 again it's a show that hasn't isn't really thinking of neither of these episodes are really thinking about the larger picture of this and when no. ds9 is at its best it is considering where everything is fitting into just the the, the, the general whole. You know, it, we we Keiko and the the kids are back because they want to have an episode with you know they have this concept and not because anybody really thinks it's a good idea for them to be there on the station at this particular point. <laughs> and how disappointed do you think Colmini was when he got back to the show after being gone for a few weeks? To get this to be like, oh, I got an episode. And then uh, he uh, reads uh, the script and he's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Oh. This is another one of those episodes. Well, let, let's talk about Dax and Worf. Yeah. Because I actually like this plot line. I think that it does a... It's doing a very subtle thing with Worf. Yes. Which is... me. I, 
he's realizing that he's, he's not very he he failed Alexander and he's not a very good he wasn't a very good father to him. He's been growing up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I've talked before about how I don't really like Worf. I don't think that his personality is very interesting. I think that he's very he, you know, he's the kind of guy that if you're not exactly what he wants in a friend or a relationship, he's not going to have anything to do with mm-hmm. you. And I think that I think Dax is making him mature. Yeah. I mean, you get the sense that, again, Dax would like to have a kid with Worf, but again, this would be her 10th kid. And if it doesn't pan out, again, we said Dax can handle certain disappointments because, all right, well, I'm going to be married again. I will be incarnated again and I will meet somebody and I can have a – so for Dax, this isn't a gigantic disappointment, but – and I don't think she even – worries about it even that much at the very beginning of the episode but for Worf this is Worf's first and maybe only marriage really this is his one lifetime and he is if he is changing if he doesn't want a baby himself he is changing for somebody else for his wife and realizing that well I in this incarnation I want to make my wife happy kind of a thing which yeah which I think is a good look for him, frankly. Yeah. I like him in this episode, and I think that one of the things that works for me is that, you know, Worf has never been someone who's been that fond of children in general. Yeah. And I also like the fact that the episode does very baldly go after the Alexander stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, really states, look, I was not a good father. You know, Worf basically says that he was kind of not a great father to Alexander. And, you know, Dax, you know, pretty obliquely at the end of the episode agrees with him when she says, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to be a great father and, you know, I wasn't really testing you, but Worf's kind of stepped up Yeah, and he likes Yoshi now. So I think that there is an element to which Worf is viewing this as a as a challenge, as a Klingon warrior. But there is an element, too, where I think it's him trying to make up for the fact that he failed Alexander. Yeah. And, you know, is this going to go anywhere? We don't. I mean, I know, but. You know, you don't know. I mean, and it could at this point it could go either way. They could give Worf another kid. They could give Alexander a baby brother. I think you mentioned we don't see Alexander again, or he's not going to be a so not at all. I don't think so. No. The, yeah, I feel like if Worf has another kid, Alexander would have certain feelings about that, and that would frankly bring up some big hurt about that. Yeah, but. Yeah. One thing I'm confused about is that, um, you know, at, at, at the end, Dax doesn't know what this gung 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 game is, but she's so invested in Klingon stuff. Like, why wouldn't she know a little? It's the equivalent of peekaboo. Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> a good question. Uh, it, again, it could be she's never had a Klingon baby, sure, but. Neither the, is Worf. Yeah, but uh, plenty of her friends have. I like to I like to imagine that this is something that Klingons haven't done in five hundred years. <laughs> we're founded in a book somewhere, <laughs> covered in blood wine, and he's the, like, "This is great." That's true. It's like reading like an old timey nursery rhyme or something. There, there is an element of um, I think there's a real nice element of of reality to that, though, where. You know, Worf is very worried about the fact that yeah. Yoshi hit his head, and of course, kids hit their head. They yeah. fall. You know, you're not really supposed to react and see how they react to it first, because if you run over to them every single time they hurt themselves, go, oh, "You're okay." They're going to learn that falling down is a much bigger yeah. deal than it is. And but you have some, you have some experience with kids. I 
only intellectually know that, and I've never been in a room alone with a baby, and if a baby does hit its head, I will freak the fuck out. And well, I a, think a baby hitting its head is a little different well, than a, a, a toddler kid to- hitting its head. Okay, Let's make that clear. Let, let, let me tell you, referring to my lack of knowledge of kids, I only vaguely know what the difference is. Um, toddlers can walk; babies can't. So it's like larva to pupa. Uh, sure. We'll okay. Go with that. So uh, a lot. Well, of- toddlers. Well, toddlers don't always walk. They crawl and walk. See, see. Not, really, really, the transition from a baby to a toddler is when the baby can start to get around on its own. Yeah. Okay. That's that's essential. Oh, that that's why they call it toddlers because he toddles or oh. Right. Again, for I, I mean, it does really go to how clueless Worf is about. Again, he claims at one point to ra- have raised Alexander, and-, and 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 you know, to her credit, Jadzia does point out that you know he had Alexander when he was four. Yeah, and so he, which also apparently is like a Klingon six or eight. Mm. So yeah, I wonder if he had married Alexander's mother, if Worf would have stepped up because Taylor, yeah, yeah, because at this point he's basically re. He he had a blind spot in realizing that maybe Jadzia would like and like to have a kid, but now that he, now that he knows she does, he's stepping up for that. If well, let's she, not forget, Worf did want to marry Kaylair. Yeah, want to marry him. Yeah, and then she died. Hmm. So that happened. Poor Kaylair. Yeah, and I think that you know, it, it's at the end of the day, you know, wherever this is going to go, if Jadzia is going to get pregnant or not, I mean, who knows? But I think that it's a good way to humanize Worf a little bit and it makes me like him a little more. Yeah. You know, he, he wants to go to dinner and hang out with Yoshi and Molly instead of going to the hall suite and killing Skeletor again. So that's nice. That's nice. And I like that they remembered that Keiko had Miles O'Brien's baby, you know, the way that her Kira. Yeah. Yeah. Her, um, you know her her reactions with Kira in this episode and how there is that yeah and there is that that one brief scene between Odo and Kira I believe on the Defiant or the Runabout where Kira says oh maybe I like to have one of these one day and Odo like gets really uncomfortable and can like quickly changes the subject yeah I you know not much to say about it but it's just we noticed that yeah we did last thing I want to mention before we wrap this episode up I like the attention to detail the Chester the Cat is still around yes and I also like the little detail that Keiko is not fond of Chester the Cat. <laughs> this is something where the A-plot wasn't what it should be. Uh, and again, maybe having a better – having somebody who was an actress as opposed to just a dancer would have taken the I, – I, I, I'm assuming just based on it, I didn't look up her career. Maybe she does have a very strong career as a stage actress and I'm just – she was poorly directed by Mr. Siddig. But um, – No, he directed – the first one. Oh, he didn't direct this one. Well, that's how it, maybe that's why she didn't work because she was not directed by him at all. Imagine this episode with the comic timing of uh, Profit and Lace. Oh, that would have been great. Well, I think that's it for this episode. If you would like to leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast and leave your thoughts, please go to trekaboutshow.com and do I, that. I think you're wrong, Profit and Lace is the best episode of the Star Trek. We will delete that comment and ban you from ever commenting again. Well, I won't do that. We'll read it so that everybody knows. (laughs) We will shame you publicly. Oh. Uh, Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Also check out our GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash truckaboutshow. We do still need a little bit of money to get to our goal of $500 to pay for our new equipment. And also, if you would like to support us on an ongoing basis, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is the place to do that. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. 
We are in the first season of United States of Terror. Our episode is being released on Thursday, our newest episode about the United States of Terror episodes, Possibility and Betrayal. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Track about shows, our username on all of those platforms. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. Next week, we are wrapping up the sixth season. Wait, already? Already. What? Oh, wow. It seemed like it was it was season six and season six and season six and, se- and now it's suddenly here. Now it's here. It's like Christmas. We're going into the last season of the show after oh, next week. Wow. It's, it's hard to believe. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it's been almost a year and a half, oh so God, I guess it, it makes sense. But yeah, it's <laughs> time certainly flies. It's like maybe, oh it's my like, God, maybe like, that's what Times Orphan was really about. Actually, that episode is very deep. We should reconsider it, and maybe we will record it for our patron special about how Times Arrow is really about Trek about. Let's never do that. Okay. Yes, we're wrapping up the sixth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine by talking about the episodes The Sound of Her Voice, which I like a lot, actually. Okay. And uh, Tears of the Prophets. Oh, well, that sounds like a hell of a time. So we'll see you then.